0: right, we're good to go. Oh, now oh, we know, it's, wow. this is real. It's live, it's happening.
1: It's live and in person. Let's we're here. jump
0: in, let's do it. If people wanna come in late, we'll scold them.
1: No, no, we won't scold can't. them. Come in, come in, <laughs>
0: it's okay. So welcome. Welcome, Welcome, all of you here in person. Welcome to all of you listening online, right? We're, I think, yes, great. Okay, good. Welcome to all of you listening online. We're really excited uh, to be here in person this year at QCF. Last year, we both did a live recording, but it was Online and I was in El Salvador while we were doing. That.
1: Yes, that's true. So yes.
0: it's nice to be in cold DC. Yeah. <laughs> instead. There's not going to be any
1: glitches. Um, no, I'm not going right. to see that's your right. picture waiver or anything. But.
0: So why don't you explain who we are and yeah. our podcast, and then we can jump right in. on Yeah. This topic.
1: Um, so this is the Life on Side B podcast, uh, live episode coming from QCF. Uh, the podcast has been going for, I think this is the fourth season. I
0: think it's the
1: fifth season. Fifth season. Gosh, four years, something like that. Um, so my name's Grant. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, I've been a part of the podcast for the past three years
0: and i'm um, elizabeth she her and this will be my second season yes so i'm still i'm the newbie
1: yeah technically i, yes, I suppose I'm still you a are.
0: baby <laughs>
1: um but the podcast we uh we're at the brian m uh Eckstein podcast stage at qcf i forgot to, <laughs> to mention that someone's holding up a sign thank you so much um And yes, uh, the podcast is really um, exploring the lives of uh, Side B LGBTQ Christians uh, from lots of different angles. We have lots of guests. Um, We've talked about lots of different subtopics within the Side B experience. Uh, And so we're really excited uh, this season to talk about um, sort of this theme of reclaiming, which I think is familiar to a lot of us, reclamation. Um, so we're going to be talking about a lot of different things uh, that we feel have been perhaps taken from us or tainted by our, our experiences in um, in our, our church settings, our, our faith communities, mm-hmm. and how we can go about taking those things back um, as, as positive aspects of our spirituality and not just um, Bad memories or scars. Exactly.
0: So, like each episode, we're going to have a concept or a theme that we are reclaiming as queer Christians. Um, So I'm really excited about this season and where it's going to go. And today, we're specifically reclaiming the concept of intimacy and the nature of intimacy. So it should be a spicy one <laughs> I hope so. Um, and love to get all of your like feedback and thoughts. So we are gonna have some time for Q&A at the, e- at the end. Um, <clears throat> so if you can start thinking of questions now and you wanna throw them into the app, um, please feel free to start putting some questions in there. Uh, but I will say that because we're gonna be really focusing on reclaiming intimacy, though we are more than happy to talk about questions around side B and obviously we're gonna be coming at it from an angle of side B. We're not necessarily gonna talk about broader side B concepts, if that makes sense. So if there are things around intimacy and the side B experience that you guys have questions about like, please throw them at us. We'd love to engage with those.
1: And we'd love, I mean, if you have other questions about side B, we would love to meet with you afterward and chat, Um, I'd love love to chat over coffee in a very non-threatening way. Uh, I know there's a lot of baggage with that. It's not a trap, I promise. It's not a trap.
0: No, not it a is trap. a trap. It is often, very much. A yeah.
1: trap. But th- not this time, not, not this time
0: around. Trap. But <laughs> so yeah. Grant, let me ask you. What does it look like or what what is the need? Why is there a need to reclaim the concept of intimacy? Why does intimacy need to be reclaimed? And I would say starting off like within the broader Christian queer experience, why do we need to reclaim this idea of intimacy?
1: Yeah, well, I think the things that come to mind for me when it comes to reclaiming intimacy um, as a queer Christian is it feels like for much of my young life, before I was able to really reconcile my faith and sexuality, Intimacy was something always out of reach,
0: mm. uh,
1: something that I wasn't allowed to have, or that um, maybe it was cast as like intimacy is something that you can get in marriage eventually, mm-hmm. and and we're just preparing you to for that. So intimacy is not for now; yes, it's yes. for later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think over many years, I think that's evolved as I've found myself in, in different communities. I think there can be another iteration of that um, that's really um, in, in a lot of ways pro-queer, pro-LGBTQ, mm-hmm. but still sort of places intimacy in, in marriage and for me, that's that's not something I plan on entering into.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: so celibacy, or I'm always going to do that. The words sound too similar. Intimacy mm-hmm. it feels out of reach. Yeah. And so reclaiming it, um, reclaiming the idea that intimacy is something that I can have mm-hmm. in my life. It's something that's a part of the the real abundant life that Jesus promises us. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think like within the Christian experience, which is how I posed the question, but now I'm thinking it needs to be reclaimed even broader within the LGBTQ conversation, because as queer people, we have been kind of robbed of intimacy just altogether, like intimacy Mm -hmm. from family, like historically and still today being kicked out of homes, intimacy from friends and like church and community relationships. And then, you know, being told historically that you can't get married mm-hmm. in same sex partnerships, that is another way of robbing of intimacy. So mm-hmm. it's like a constant and like it being illegal for <laughs> two people, of the same sex to have any kind of physical intimacy. And I think for a long time, it's still on the books for yeah. in many places. So I think there just needs to we have a lot of levels to mm-hmm. dig through when we think about how do we reclaim this concept and make it our own yeah. as queer folks and then as queer Christians. And then on top of that, for us, as those who identify in the side B world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. That brought so much to mind. Come come yes. well, <laughs> Honestly, Do you ever feel, this is a question for everybody, I guess, but do you ever get a flashback of like junior high? it oh, comes out of nowhere all the
0: time
1: and you're like <laughs> oh no but i think what what comes to mind for me is how i felt in when i was very young going to like a bible camp mm-hmm. which i went to not that kind but i mean not a, uh, it wasn't that specifically <laughs> but the idea that young young same sex attracted gay by people um, there's rules against having intimacy with people of, oh, of, yeah. the, of a different g- sex or gender. And there's, there's this weird shame associated with having intimacy, any kind of intimacy with people of the same sex or mm-hmm. gender. And so you just sort of get trapped where you're, you're not supposed to be alone with men or women yes. or anyone different yeah. or anyone the same. And you just go home you and you just you just cry stay, your alone. you cry alone that's and and i i think that's the predicament that it's not just queer people in the church i think it's symptomatic yeah. of of the culture in a yes. lot of ways too i think um I heard this many, many years ago, but it really resonated with me. An obsession about sex and marriage mm. can also mask a real fear of yes, intimacy.
0: Absolutely.
1: So I think that's something to to wrestle so through. So true. As well.
0: well, yeah, and I think about like my straight friends and family members, and like that whole Billy Graham rule of not being in the same room with somebody. I I went to a Bible college and we had a similar rule that you couldn't be in the same room with somebody of the opposite sex, but you also couldn't be in a uh, standing vehicle with somebody of the opposite sex. Like it couldn't be just, yeah. So my brother (laughs) came to visit me one day and like we're driving into the campus and he goes to stop to like give me a hug and say bye. And I was like, don't stop, keep the car rolling, keep it rolling. And I'm like rolling out of the openly moving car just so I couldn't get caught being in a standing car with my brother, (laughs) which makes zero sense. That, I mean, I I take things way too far. That's just who I am. (laughs) So, but yeah, I mean, it's a thing. And I think that way, even now of like, if I have to follow those very like strict binary roles of you can't be in a room alone with somebody of the opposite sex or somebody that you're sexually attracted to in the gender sphere. I can't be in the room with anybody (laughs) ever. So then I can only be intimate with my spouse and I, it robs me of intimate relationships in other ways. For sure. And that's really, sad and I think straight people are getting robbed from that too because like as a straight person you should be able as a straight male you should be able to have a really amazing intimate and respectful relationship with a woman that you're not like afraid of because who knows one second you're having a deep like personal conversation and the next like you're having their child like that's not how it works (laughs) I have two, it's not how it works. I think we all probably know that's not how it works. So it's kind of frightening where
1: those assumptions, like what those assumptions say about how people must feel Mm -hmm. in relationship with people to whom they may be attracted. Like the assumption is that you're gonna get in trouble is like, oh, so you're just thinking about sex all the time and it could happen at any moment. <laughs> you can drop your pants and then just like, that's, <laughs> I don't know. And I don't think people are actually That's why I wear that. a dress,
0: so yeah. that it's just easier. <laughs> <out of this. laughs> uh, okay, so you said something to me earlier when we were talking about this in particular. You had said something that really needs to be reclaimed when thinking about queer intimacy is on kind of both sides of the extreme mm-hmm. kind of spectrum. of of theological approach or sexual expression that both in conservative spaces, which we've kind of touched on, Mm -hmm. we need to reclaim intimacy for ourselves, but even in progressive spaces. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear more and have our audience hear more about what what you kind of meant by that and what that looks like.
1: Yeah, I think the same kind of lie that, that happens in conservative spaces about intimacy, that it can only be found in sex and marriage can be unwittingly um, reiterated in progressive spaces where where sex, um, the, uh, the boundaries of sex and marriage are different. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing fundamentally changes about that lie. It's just, it has a, a broader context and it could actually do in some ways more damage. I'm not gonna, there's no comparison. I don't wanna compare progressive and conservative sides, whatever those words mean. Yeah. But I think that lie can continue on. If you don't address it directly, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: being more open to having sexual or romantic relationships of various kinds or with, with different people is not gonna fix that lie. Yeah. It's, it's just going to, to ingrain it more deeply.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it I reminds think. me of like when people have said, less to me, but to some of my other friends who are celibate like, oh, I feel so sorry for you. <laughs> Like you will never experience intimacy. Like, (laughs) I just wish for you, you know, fill in the blank. And though, like, I know their hearts are in a right place. And maybe for them, like the way that we experience intimacy is going to be different for different people. So maybe for them, the reason why they have that very like sorrowful stance is because here I say, I need to tell everybody to silence their phone and my phone goes off that's sorry everybody um but you know maybe that's the that's the way that they connect with intimacy is only through like sexual experiences but it's not fair to kind of put that on someone else to say like because you're not gonna have sex with somebody then you all poor you like you're not experiencing true intimacy
1: yeah
0: so then the question is like what is intimacy
1: yeah I would love to hear from you as a married person who has the, the potential the magical <laughs> experience of having intimacy, according to much of the world, you sexual know, like,
0: intimacy. Yes, yes. Yes. You have
1: um, you have that. I, I, I've never had that. Um, and for a lot of people, that means that you've had intimacy and I haven't. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly.
1: How, how have you experienced intimacy, not just in your marriage and, um, but, but beyond your marriage, how has that changed over time? What have yeah. been some of the most intimate experiences you've had with people? Sure.
0: So I think in my marriage, for example, um, and I was talking to a friend about this yesterday, okay, coming from a conservative Southern Baptist background and then going to a conservative mm-hmm. Christian college. it I'm sure many of you have heard this narrative that it was like, if it was a husband and a wife, a man and a woman marriage relationship, it's the woman's duty to like fulfill their male partner's desire. And I can't tell you how many times I heard that casually and like authoritatively, there was a book, every man's battle. There was like an every man's battle and every woman's battle. Okay. Some, some of us deeply conservative people remember that that bit of trauma. Um, and I remember reading the every man's battle book because I was like, I want to know what they're thinking. (laughs) And there was this analogy of these like vessels or cisterns or whatever that every man has like five or seven of these like sexual vessels. Did you know this? You have these, I did not read this book. No, but it's, it's in you. Did you know (laughs) they're there. Okay. And like, It is a woman's job to like fill these vessels. And if you're not making sure that all of these vessels are filled in your male partner's life, then it is your fault if they cheat on you, if they are addicted to porn, if they are addicted to masturbation, it is because you are not giving them everything they need sexually, right? Like seriously. Grant mouth open in, in awe. That's
1: pretty and, shocking.
0: Yeah, no, but it, but it was real. Like that was really yeah. and like I had a lot of friends that bought into that. So going into my marriage with my partner, who's a man, you know, I I I had some of that baggage that I had to carry. But what was very interesting is I then realized once we got married, my husband maybe he has like two vessels compared to like what I was told was supposed to be seven. Where like I'm thinking, oh, we're gonna have sex all the time and like this is gonna be the best. You know, and maybe in the beginning, you know, we're young and crazy. But after a while he was like, oh, I'd like to read a book. And I was like, really? <laughs> and he was like, Yeah, book sounds nice. I'll catch you tomorrow, you know. And I just, I, I became really grateful for that because it wasn't my duty. And then as my, we've been married for 13 years. So as like, thank you, thank you. As our relationship has grown and developed and like our libidos have changed and two children and all of that. Like now I'm less interested and there are times where I feel really guilty, and I'm like, I'm really sorry. I just am not really feeling it. And he's like, but, and then I'll be like, but I'll try. Like, because remember, I got to keep these vessels full because Lord <laughs> forbid, you know? And he's like, no, I don't want to be physically intimate with you then. Like, this needs to be a not just a consensual thing, but like, a loving act from both of us and if you're just doing this out of some sense of obligation why would I want to that makes so that much kind sense. Of relationship, right <laughs> it makes so much sense but then again like I know a lot of people who are still playing the other game of you know and I think about particularly these poor women who are not being sexually satisfied or quite frankly, are being sexually manipulated and taken advantage of in marriage relationships. And we don't talk about it. So, and, and, and to piggyback off of that, I have found like, you asked me what have been some of the most intimate experiences. Some of those intimate experiences for me have not been the ones where I'm having sex. Like, One of the most intimate experiences for me was, well, two was the birth of my two kids, Mm. because like I was eyes locking with my husband, just watching him adore me as I'm bringing in, you know, life into our family. And then for our second child, he came out like in 45 minutes and there was nobody else there. It was just me and him for 45 minutes. The midwife didn't make it. My child was born on the toilet, so we call him our toilet baby. Um,
1: (laughs) To his face. (laughs) Yeah, we're like, you're a little
0: toilet baby. (laughs) Uh, But he, my husband was the one who like caught our son, you know, Mm. together. And it was just the two of us. And that's the most intimate thing. Like, I, I can't manufacture that experience. Like, yeah that it was just so, so beautiful and life giving. So, and we can't do that again. Like you can have sex again, but I can't, like, we're never going to give birth to Ezra together again. Yeah. So I've been, I've been blabbing, but I would say within my marriage relationship, those, and I think that it's so important. And then I want to hand it over to you because I want (laughs) to, no, no, it's, it's important. And then I'll, I'll talk about other intimate relationships, but it's so important for married people, and I don't care what your partnership looks like, Like, it's really important to know that because sex changes, you change. And if all you're kind of looking for or what you define intimacy to be is just sex exclusively, you will be disappointed. Like, just, I can promise you, you will. Yeah. Um, and it makes me think about the the psalm um, of the virtuous woman, where at the end it says like beauty fades, right? And mm-hmm. like, it's this, it, beauty fades and in every gender, beauty fades and things change and body changes and your ability to be sexually intimate changes. But if there's not a base of other ways of intimacy, then you're gonna, you're always going to be disappointed. And sexual intimacy is always better when it's on a foundation of deeper and broader expressions of intimacy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It makes me think of, um, there's a book I was reading recently, uh, uh, Out of the Shadows, Reimagining Gay Men's Lives Mm. by Walt Odets, I think is his name. And he talks about uh, viewing sex as a conversation he's he's talking about this as a uh, psychologist um engage like helping a lot of gay men mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's he stressed the importance of sex as conversation rather than as like an activity
0: mm. I
1: think he characterized it he called it like genital combat like, <laughs> which is an interesting phrase it's always stuck with me but like the idea that like it's it's a it's like an athletic thing. It's like a pleasure Mm -hmm, thing. mm -hmm, And it's not actually a conversation with mm -hmm, another person, mm -hmm. but like sort of strips it of the intimacy that
0: sex is
1: supposed to have. Love it.
0: If you're not like familiar with side B, like conversations and stuff, I hope that this is a bit of a like, oh, (laughs) they're not as stuck up as I thought they were. They talk about sex. Some of them even have sex. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, Grant, I want to throw it back at you because my situation is obviously different.
1: I feel like we've got the opposite yes situation. By a married woman.
0: Yes. Yes. Single, which there's still so much I could say. But yes, single <laughs> and you know and many layers of queer identity for yeah. you. So what does side B intimacy look like for you? How mm-hmm. would you define it in your own life and what have been examples of that?
1: Yeah, I think for me a lot of the intimacy, um, that I've received over the past many years, uh, has been in the context of relationship with my friends Mm. and with my, my broader community. I've been really blessed to live with young families for the past seven or eight years. So there's always, yeah, it's really fun. I I get to be sort of an uncle. Mm Um, and so there's always been a, uh, at least one child under the age of like, well, under the age of like three in the house mm, at God all bless times. You.
0: And you chose that. I, I have, <laughs> I have
1: chose both times. Um, so um, yes, and, and that uh, is a kind of intimacy. Like they, uh, the families I've lived with have offered to, to cook food and we all enjoy a meal together. Mm. Uh, I feel included in a family that isn't like my biological family and that feels really intimate. Um, I know uh, the little the little baby boy that I live with right now, he crawls up to me and like touches my foot which is the signal for me to pick him up.
0: Oh, I love it.
1: Uh, which is so sweet. And we have this thing where we like mirror each other and like, I don't know, wiggle our heads and like, um, smile and he, yeah, we just like each other. My a lot. uterus He's, is crying. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's the kind of intimacy that's meant so much to me. Um, I know I also have a community of friends in in St. Louis, where I live. Um, and I know that if I really need a, a trip to the airport, um, or if I I'm sick with COVID and need like something. Um, a friend can can drop something off. My mm-hmm. friends um, really care for me in that way. Mm-hmm. I also have a regular Tuesday night drinks with my friends, which is um, I love the structure of that. I get to go to a friend's house and we all drink and gab, um, which has been really really fun. But so that's that's the the way that intimacy sort of fits into my life right now and expresses mm-hmm, itself. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the most intimate moments that I've experienced, um, a lot of them have been in the context of confession.
0: I love this.
1: Um, you said this
0: yesterday to me, I was like, Ooh, I yeah. need to hear more.
1: Well, I think confession is sort of taken on a different, um, different weight now that I've I've entered the the Catholic church uh, two years ago. So I have like a sacramental confession. That's a part of my, my life, but even in the context of conversation with friends, sharing something really vulnerable with someone, something I hadn't shared before, or something that, um, something that feels really dark and precious. Mm. Uh, those are moments where I felt that have felt really, really intimate wow, to me. Wow. I know I, I um, was uh, in the sacrament of reconciliation uh, several several months ago um, and I was bringing to confession something that I had never confessed before. It had happened many, many years ago um, and I had gone to confession a whole bunch of times since. And so like, I was mm. good, you know, like yeah. I should have felt good about it or I should have felt okay about it. I shouldn't, should, but you know what I mean? but it was just plaguing me for some reason. Uh, And so I brought it to a friend before I went to sacramental uh, confession. And and he's like, thank you so much for sharing with me. And that was a really intimate moment in our friendship. And then I brought it to the confessional and the moment when the priest said something like, I want you to know that your sin is forgiven.
0: Mm.
1: Like that moment um, was incredibly Intimate. I think I was like I was crying or something. I was behind a screen, so no one saw, but um, so just me and the Lord Jesus saw. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Jesus saw. Um, but yeah, I that that moment was really intimate for me. So I think confession always feels really Mm. really intimate. Sharing, sharing memories that have been so formative for me that no one knows when they when they look at me. Yes, sharing that with someone, giving them a peek into my inner life, uh feels really intimate. So, like
0: what what words would you describe? Like you gave amazing examples, but I'm just thinking like, what, what is intimacy in those situations? Like, what are the words? What, what does it do hopefully for you and the other person? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's vulnerability.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I've often thought of vulnerability. I mean, if you take it very literally, etymologically, it's openness to being wounded.
0: Mm.
1: like you can be really hurt wow you can you you hand someone something that's very sharp very sharp and dangerous and they can really hurt you with it if they want Mm. and so it requires a lot of trust um and it, it feels like it unburdens you. Like if you can trust this with them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Then your circle of safety increases. I
0: was going to say like vulner- or um, intimacy is uh, vulnerability and then it's trust. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and it's freedom. Like there's freedom in it. And a a thing that I was thinking about when I think about other examples of intimacy is um, I have an eye disorder. And so reading and writing is like my enemy, I hate Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) And it has plagued me all of my life. And for, I shared this in the, there was another breakout session for like invisible disabilities and chronic illness, which was beautiful. Um, And something, it was always something I was embarrassed of and I didn't want anyone to know. I had a lot of things that I didn't want anyone to know growing up <laughs> where I'm packing yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it something I, I hid and I didn't want anyone to know until I got to college when I was away from my family, who were the only ones who knew that I had this, who were the only ones who helped me. And now I'm by myself and I need to read large textbooks and write long papers. And I was like, I can't do this. Like I physically can't do this without being vulnerable to somebody else right now. So I asked for my friends to pray for me and I told them about it. And then out of nowhere, friends were coming up to me and saying like, hey, can we wake up early with you before class and read you the chapter of the book that you have to read? And they weren't even in the class, but they sat with me. I'm going to cry. They sat with me in my room early in the morning and just would read to me long sections of you know books that they didn't need to read and they had tons of other things that they needed to read so it was the vulnerability of putting myself in a place very humbly where I had to listen to my friends read to me yeah but then also receiving their love and receiving that their ability to look at me as an equal yeah even in a place of vulnerability it was so freeing not to mention I got to do my readings and write my papers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, And I graduated with very good grades. And I can attribute that to the ways that yeah. I was able to be intimate with people that I loved.
1: I love that. It, it reminds me of my favorite um, biblical passage is the story of the raising of Lazarus. Um,
0: Whenever I, Grant talks no, about the story. I, there's
1: there's different angles. There's different you're going angles. to church, y'all. Can, We're about to go to church. No, no, no. <laughs> But thinking about um, how the miracle is inherently communal because Jesus, there are three commands Jesus gives in uh, the the story of the raising of Lazarus. And the first and the third are to the community around the tomb, not Mm -hmm. to Lazarus. Mm -hmm. The first is to roll the stone away. and, Mm -hmm. And the third is to unbind him and let him go. And so at each end of Jesus's command to Lazarus is a command to his friends and family to to make the way for him and to release him from bondage. And so- truth. I think of, I think of the raising of Lazarus in terms of truth telling in terms of coming out all the time. That's, mm-hmm. that's the thing that comes to mind. We need for a whole me.
0: episode on that. I I, I,
1: I think that miracle has so much to say to coming out, but I think that makes, um, that makes truth telling an act of intimacy, mm. like something that mm. can be so incredibly intimate and vulnerable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I think the idea that someone was like, taking away the clothes that were probably mm. like stuck to his skin.
0: Mm.
1: Um, wow. And, and he couldn't move, Yeah, you know, like, yeah. so. That, yeah, intimacy
0: is care yeah. as well. Like it's giving and receiving care. And I'm thinking about the, the vulnerability, the sharp object. Mm-hmm. Well, the recipient of that object has to handle it with care. And I think about that in relational intimacy in, um, you know, in the ways that we, we see ourselves moving throughout the world, but also bringing it back to sex, like that is sexual intimacy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was, didn't see in, in the cistern yeah. vessel thing of like, you're giving some of the most vulnerable pieces and parts of yourself to somebody else. You're giving this object and saying, hey, like I'm humbly giving this to you. And now you're in some ways at the mercy of their care. And hopefully the, the response is an act of care yes. and isn't an act of like, you know, harm or exploit exploiting, you know, yeah. that person or that gift. Yeah. So yeah, I think intimacy is on both ends, care, giving and receiving helping, you know, humility and, yeah. and vulnerability.
1: And that extends so far beyond sex. Like mm-hmm. it, it surely encompasses sex. Yeah. And yeah. sex, sex can definitely sex be intimate. is intimate. I assume. Um,
0: <laughs> I assure you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think that makes intimacy so much bigger. And if we, if we take, Um, Sexual intimacy, the way Jesus often took sexual intimacy as, Mm. um, as saying something about, um, about God's relationship with us, how the Bible speaks of it is, is God's relationship with us. That's an intimacy that's open to all of us in, in relation to God now in, in some sense, but in the resurrection, that's, that's the kind of intimacy that will flood everything, Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. kind of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Our Mm -hmm. circle of safety will expand so as to encompass everything. Mm -hmm. We'll be totally free. Yeah. Like,
0: Mm. can't wait.
1: Can't wait.
0: Sounds lovely. (laughs) So how do you, I mean, it sounds like you have an amazing supportive community, but I'm sure you have had people share with you, like, how do you, you know, ask the questions of, like, how do you deal with the fact that you don't have intimacy, you know, assuming mm-hmm. that that's the case, or like taking pity on you because, like, you won't, you won't, you're not pursuing a marriage relationship and you're yeah. not going to have like sexual intimacy. Like, how do you reconcile that in yourself? And how do you kind of explain that to other people? as yeah. you're also in the process of reconciling that with yourself.
1: Yeah. Ooh, emphasis on process. <laughs> every time I come to any queer Christian conference, I just, I have 15 different crushes uh, every time. It is, <laughs> it's, it's rough. No. I, <laughs> we
0: were at something together and I, someone said something and then I looked at Grant and I was like, And crush number one. Yeah, yeah. We've been here a whole freaking hour. Grant is in love
1: (laughs) again. I fall in love with people in commercials. (laughs) Um, But yes, I think. What was was the question? (laughs) We got distracted. You're too in
0: love. Um, How do you, in your process? Oh yes, process of reconciling. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So I'm very much in process. I think it like. I can, we can give the impression that we're, we fully arrived at yes. some perspective so on intimacy. So important
0: to mention. And so important. we have
1: not yeah. arrived. We're, we, it's it's a continual process that's just going to extend for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we get intimacy? And at certain points in my life, even now, I, I feel uh, really unsatisfied in mm-hmm. some ways with the intimacy Um that I'm receiving, but Mm. so I think it's, it's something, a a way that I've thought about it. uh, And this might just be because I'm an Enneagram four. So take it with a grain of salt. I'm very okay with longing and yearning and unfinished business and stuff Mm. like that. It makes me special and mysterious. It makes
0: good poetry. Yes,
1: yes. How will they be an artist if you take away my sadness? (laughs) Um, But the idea that even if I were to have the intimacy not just that I, uh, I needed, but the intimacy that I wanted Mm -hmm. at every moment. It's in the moment, it's not going to fulfill me Mm. in the Mm. moment. I'll realize my longing extends so far beyond this, this person, um, this act, it can't, it can't satisfy it. Um, I think love in so many ways is really just a kind of unfulfilled longing or a, a longing that, is continually being fulfilled, but is never it never mm-hmm. stops, um, and I really think that's that's my vision of what the resurrected life is going to be like longing that continues and it's a journey that keeps going. It, Gregory of Nyssa calls it uh, like a sort of infinite journeying into God. epictasis. I think that's what the resurrection is going to mm. be. So I don't think that's that that longing is actually something that's. A part of the fallen world. I think that's just something about um, being a finite creature caught in the embrace of an infinite God.
0: Mm. So it, it's almost like it's pain with pleasure in the sense of like it reminds you that there's always going to be something greater.
1: Yeah. There's always so much more because yeah. God is always so the much best more. The best is yet to come yes.
0: as we learned from it was caring. Yes, the, Yeah. On yes, the best is yet. It to gets come. better. Yeah. Oh, yes. yes, it gets better. Exactly, exactly. Oh, I love that. So uh, I have a question also. Sorry, not to keep
1: focusing on you, Grant. Yeah, but gosh, this wasn't an interview, was it? This it, was a, it's, this it's was a dialogue.
0: Um, well, I'll, I'll jump in. But how do you ask for intimacy?
1: Do you want to go first? <laughs> I,
0: I can't say what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> you go <first. laughs>
1: I don't know. I think the, the struggle that so many have when asking for intimacy is that you don't want to feel clingy or desperate or needy. Mm. Um, and I think in a very real sense, everyone is really desperate <laughs> for yeah. intimacy. So we're all feeling that. Um, I think, It can be, um, it can be awkward and maybe unhelpful to ask for a level of intimacy that you haven't worked toward with, uh, with another Mm. person. Intimacy without any story. Yeah. Um, So I think, I think intimacy, now that I think about it, intimacy sort of requires a shared story for it to be, to be intimacy. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. jumping straight into like, uh, a, a physical affection or an emotional affection that has no real background yeah. can be really dangerous and can feel, um, can be really awkward. And so I, I try not to do that in, in my best moments, uh, as much as I want the kind of intimacy I want, yeah. but, yeah. um, that's, it's mostly just a reflection and not advice. So take that, <laughs> take that with a grain of salt, but But
0: there are ways that you've found that you can, or people that are in your lives where you can say, hey, I need, I need something from you.
1: Yeah, I think that in itself, asking requires so much trust and vulnerability. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. I feel the same way. And I think, I think asking in the context of my marriage for intimacy is always super weird. Like you don't think that it would be weird, but it actually is very weird. (laughs) Um, And then I think also asking and longing for intimacy outside of my marriage. It's weird, but it seems like it's more weird because of the way that our Western society has told us it's supposed to be weird. Like recently I've been feeling I have I have anxiety. So I'm always feeling anxious, but I've been having this anxiety over like my family doesn't look like the standard American family because it's me, my husband, our two kids in our house, and then my best friend. And she is in our family. Like literally any way that you can describe somebody being in someone's family, she's in it. And I I we get questions and you know side glances and it's fine and I deal with it but at the same time like that's not how I grew up like yeah. we barely had like family friends over our house let alone <laughs> you know have somebody live with us and be a part of our family so to my family she's just like our roommate but to us she's are, uh, a, an entity all of our own that we honestly don't even know how to put words to, mm-hmm. which I love because it's like, it reminds me of David and Jonathan a lot. And I was thinking about what you were saying when you were talking about Jesus and, and, and um, Lazarus and that that whole story of like, I, there's a temptation and I might step on some toes, but there's a temptation that I've seen to kind of write in between the lines of David and Jonathan's story. Um, But I actually think if we're broadening the understanding of intimacy, Mm -hmm. I don't need to see David and Jonathan as like sexual partners or like these romantic partners. Like the fact that David says that he loved Jonathan more than some of his wives to me is like, wow, that intimate, like you can have that depth of intimacy And in many ways, like I, we have that in our family of like, I don't know what to call our Masha, that's her name, because there's such a depth of intimacy in that relationship that there's not a, there's not an American or an English word for it. And Mm. if you have it, do tell me, (laughs) but there's not, you know? And so, yeah, that it just makes me think of like how hopefully all of us can, can question and broaden what are the narratives of intimacy that we've been told and how can we like how can we rewrite them through the lens of the intimacy that God has created? And I would say the intimacy that Jesus offers us too.
1: yeah,
0: which kind of leads me to what I would love for us to kind of talk about next is what does it look like to be intimate in our faith with God mm. and with Jesus? um, we're at a Christian conference, right? Like yeah. we should probably bring him up every now and again. So like, what, does what intimacy look like for you in your faith practice with Jesus? What yeah. has he offered you?
1: Um, well, that's probably changed over many years. Part of, um, one of the threads that, uh, hooked me and got me entering the Catholic church Uh, is Lectio Divina um, and sort of imaginative, like contemplative prayer. Um, And so I had a really positive experience with some, um, some Catholic campus ministers in college. And they su- suggested, like, um, one of them is a nun now. She's, like, so invested in her faith. It's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, she talked about an experience she had where she imagined herself in a biblical story and relating to Jesus and talking with him and seeing his face change and, like, having such an intimate experience face-to-face with Jesus. Um, and she like
0: mm.
1: got ice cream with Jesus, you know, like it was, yeah, it was yeah, an yeah. interesting, like um, she had a whole, um, a whole interaction with a person, Jesus. Mm. And so I thought one day that I was going to do that. So I, I was living in Southern California at the time and there was um, a mountain, a mountain. It was a big old hill <laughs> uh, in the area. And you, you had to spend like an hour walking up it to get to the very top. And at the top, there was this sort of outcropping that I probably shouldn't have gone out on, but I did. And I sat there and I took a notebook and I took my headphones and um, I, th- I think I took a Bible and I sat there and I had an imaginative um, experience, a mm. prayer experience with um, I think it was the, the pool of Bethesda, the, the man um, who was healed by Jesus at the, the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus asks him, I might be mixing up stories, so don't quote me on this, but
0: it's imaginative. It's imaginative. We can do it. We can go there.
1: But he says, what do you want me to do for you? Is the the question he asks the man. And so I imagined Jesus asking me that question. Hmm. What do you want from me? And what do you want me to do for you? And that it was like it. W- I was experiencing Jesus being vulnerable with me, wow. being intimate with me. Wow, um, wow. And of course, I'm a crier, so it was just like tears flowing down my face. Mm. Um, I was out on on the. And no one was around me. I think some some hikers walked past me and like, like stumbled oh, away. They're like, oh, crazy. he's <laughs> but too intimate. Yeah. <laughs> But those kind of experiences have always been really, um, really powerful mm, mm, mm. for me. Really it reminds
0: important. me of Book Plug, not my book, but an amazing, amazing book that I'm rereading, I think for the third time, called Spiritual Abuse and Religious Addiction. Mm. It's this little tiny book that probably most people have not heard of, but is fantastic. And one of the opening stories is about this woman who calls on her priests. Um, to come to her home because her husband doesn't go to church and he doesn't pray as much as she does. And she's very concerned about his eternal soul and his spiritual health. And she brings these priests in and she's like, we need to have a prayer meeting. We need to like pray over him and cast out this demon of whatever. And they said, as soon as they got there, they realized that she was the one that needed the prayer, not her Mm -hmm. husband. And that she had become so addicted to praying and to fasting and to church going that she was, she wasn't actually allowing God to be intimately a part of her life. Mm. Like she was segmenting and she was using it as a tool to cover up her own hurt and like, and vulnerability. So instead of praying for him, they prayed for her. And then during the prayer, this woman has this vision where she's like, I saw Jesus come to my house. And he came and he, and I thought, Oh, my house is dirty. I should have cleaned it if I knew the my Lord and savior was coming. Um, but he walked past her and then he said, where's your husband? And then she, I don't know if she answered whatever, but then she looked for Jesus and she's like, where is he? Where is he? And then she finds him sitting on the couch with her husband watching football which is what she had complained about him doing the whole time and she realized like that's what Jesus wanted to do all along mm. he just wanted to be with us yeah. in our in our everyday lives in our all in all of our situations in the intimacy of things not just in the pomp and circumstance.
1: Yeah.
0: And anyway, so so beautiful. beautiful. Right? It's a great book. Okay, we have about 10 minutes left and we would love to open the floor up. Um, for questions so we have a lovely gentleman here who's going to pass around a mic if anyone has any questions on the floor um, please feel free to share and then we'll check the ones also on the app uh, there's a lot oh, oh, oh well uh, here we go here we go um, the first person who asks a live question I will give one of our lovely kaleidoscope water bottles chosen <laughs> family <laughs> water bottles too so have a question ready folks Sorry, online people. <laughs> okay, um, so let us do online first. We'll grab one of the first questions. Do You want to? Can you read one of them? Um, yeah, let
1: me find one real quick.
0: Unless anyone here has a one ready to go. Got it. Okay, you keep looking, and I get you get a okay, water perfect. bottle. The second person to get the water bottle. I'm good actually. Okay. Okay. So I'm okay. Gonna ask a question. Um,
1: I guess I've heard quite a lot about intimacy in general um but i was curious about
0: physical intimacy on a side b perspective because obviously
1: it doesn't need to just be sexual so good yeah
0: that's a really good question do you want to start or do you want me to uh
1: you can start if you'd like okay
0: yeah no i love that question and you know i i want grant to have more of the floor but um I, I think it's so important for there to be physical intimacy for married people. That's not just their spouse too. Mm. <gasps> Wild concept. So like, I'm a very physical touch person. So I love like holding my friend's hands and like, you know, hugging and embracing and watching a movie, like snuggled up against, you know, a friend of mine. And let me be honest like there are times where i have to realize okay there needs to be physical boundaries because maybe this is not the most healthy of physical relationship or you know i this isn't the moment for that and i i need to honor my spouse you know obviously but i i think it's so important for me to have a physical have other physical relationships with other people that isn't necessarily sexual and hopefully it's a gift that I can also give my friends that they don't feel like, oh, well, you're just, now you can only touch this one person. Like you'll never, I'll never be able to have like a long embrace with you anymore because you belong to somebody else. Like, no, like we're all a part of this family. So I'm all about as much physical touches as I can get. <laughs> my friends know it. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty physically affectionate person as well it's something that I really um appreciate and I I long for a lot um I think I have to temper myself because it can become um a, a way to chase an experience rather than to engage mm, with the person that's And good. that's always dangerous yeah because that that is objectifying even if it's not about sex wow um, because you can make the other person a thing that actually just brings you comfort.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so, so that's something I think about a lot. Um, but yeah, I have friends who I'm, I'm physically affectionate with, and that's really meaningful for me. Um, I think one of the um, one of the painful painful parts of intimacy in our modern cultural context is uh, our, our context is is desirability politics. And so this idea that like, if you're if you're prettier, if you're more like um, conventionally attractive or like stereotypically attractive, then intimacy is is easier for you to access. And so that's something I want to be mm. really careful about and how I engage with other people. I don't want to, to offer intimacy um, just because people make me feel good. <laughs> I want to offer intimacy to people because it's because i'm trying to be christ i'm trying to to live as christ would live and he offered physical intimacy to people yeah uh, that the culture did not expect him to offer to all the time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so those are some of the things um that i think about but
0: thanks for the question yeah
1: We'll take one from the, the online real quick. Um, so one of the questions I really liked, there was another question more broadly about Side B. Uh, like I said, we'd love to chat with you afterward about um, Side B um, in general, but um, more specifically about intimacy. Uh, the question is what can the broader LGBT community learn from Side B Christians about the importance of non-sexual intimacy?
0: Wow.
1: Um, so many years ago, this is my fourth conference. I, I, at the beginning of the conference, I accidentally lied to people. I said it was my third, but it's <laughs> my fourth. Um, there was one online. Uh, and at one of my first experiences, Julie, Julie Rogers was speaking and she talked about, um, and she, she had been long involved in the side B world and she had uh, become side A um, at, before she was speaking at the conference. And she talked about the way that side A and side B can support each other, mm. um, sort of side by side instead of side versus yes. side. Yes, um, Which there are, there are difficulties with that. I don't want to paint an overly rosy picture about what uh, what that across ideological lines can look like. But one of the things that she said was that side B people um, have been forced to, and have chosen to, radically rethink what it looks like to be involved in, in relationships mm-hmm, and have mm-hmm. a community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's something, a really radical potential of Side B is yeah. that it's not, it's not that Side A folks can't do that. Side A folks, of course, are, are rethinking relationships and, and trying to figure out how to, to be supported. But I think it's interesting that side B people in many ways are constrained to think about these Mm -hmm, things. mm -hmm. We are forced to rethink because the system just doesn't work for a lot of us. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's something specific that side B folks might have to offer. Um, that does require a lot of conversation across ideological lines, which is often very triggering for people, very difficult. But um, mm-hmm. that's why I like to come to this conference. I learn so much. Yeah, um, for sure. And so I'm it's well, a conversation I like.
0: I'll but. add I also think, like, to the broader queer community, which was the question, oh, yeah. is like most of us are single. Like, statistically, most LGBTQ folks are single. So whether you choose it or not, (laughs) like, we all do have to kind of rethink what does it look like to be intimate. And I think a gift is because side B folks have made it a conscientious choice, then it's something all of us can glean from, because we're not all assured that even if you hold aside a theology or affirming theology, that you're going to be in a... (laughs) partnership or a sexual relationship. Yeah. So maybe one more quick question from the audience. Yes. And you're going to get the bottle. I don't care what you say. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> you know what? I would love the bottle. I'll sometimes. leave you. On. Okay. Great. Um, so you spoke a little bit about how intimacy requires vulnerability and how that leaves you kind of open to being wounded. And I guess I wondered if you'd ever been in situations where you wanted to be intimate with a particular person or a group of people, but you weren't sure whether you could trust them and be vulnerable with them and how you went about kind of um, feeling that out and setting some boundaries to to be able to try and do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So figuring out um, intimacy with maybe a history of hurt or more uh, difficulty or conflict uh, and how to figure that out uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think um, there's been a few, it requires a lot of tough conversations and a lot of courage in those conversations. I know I've had um, conversations with, with friends, uh, a friend of mine, um, for instance, like really hurt me. There was a, a, a comment he made that he maybe half meant or meant in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it was related to a lot of other comments that, that um, had really hurt me in the past. And I said, I'm sorry, I need to take a break. I have to, to figure this out. And we didn't talk for a few months. Like that was the boundary I had to, I had to set. And it was really painful too, because at points, um, we would try and reconnect or he would try and reconnect. And I said, and I would, I would have to say it like, I can't right now. I don't have the capacity to do that. Um, it's not necessarily a value judgment on the person, but, um, you only have so much energy to give (laughs) and re reconfiguring boundaries and figuring out a relationship again requires a lot of effort. And if you have an already full life, it requires a lot more time. Um, and waiting becomes really important. Um, I don't know if I have a lot of specific, uh, guidance on that, but that's something that, that I've struggled with, or I've, I've been through, um, And then it was baby steps back into relationship. So we've uh, talked more afterward uh, and we've had sort of more stilted, formal kind of conversations trying to re-figure out the kind of relationship uh, we were gonna have, but.
0: Thanks Grant, thanks for the question. And I wish we we, we were like 10 minutes should be fine, right? Unfortunately, we're out of time. So, um, but this has been a lovely discussion. Thank you all for being intimate with us for a little bit and hearing our stories and sharing yours with us. And we will try to, you know, maybe address some of these questions over the app if we can figure out how to do that later on, (laughs) because I'm technically illiterate. So thanks for coming, everyone. Yes.
1: Oh, um, before you go, uh, Kaleidoscope's socials. Oh, uh, yeah. Just to connect. Uh,
0: It's um, at kaleidoscope.usa yes yes that's what we are so follow us on instagram and
1: and my besetting sin is twitter so if you follow me on the grant hartley you can also enable me thank you thanks everyone